Good Monday afternoon, guys. I'm Jerry Miller, and welcome to the I Love Seville show. Thank you kindly for joining us. It's a pleasure to connect with you guys through the I Love Seville network. The show is legitimately live on every social media platform known to mankind. You, the viewer and listener, can help shape the discussion by offering your thoughts and perspective live in the comments section, and I will relay that perspective live on air. The show today is presented by The Clifton. The Clifton in Keswick is a fantastic place for happy hour, for dinner, for date night, for weddings, for events, for a spend-the-nighter or a staycation. The Clifton in Keswick making memories happen every single day of the week. Look at the headlines on screen. Here's what we're going to talk about today on the program. We will talk um, Charlottesville and the Central Virginia region. Are we now in a 65-hour work week region? Has affordability become such an issue that it's a 65-hour work week region just to survive? A perfect segue to that is the rental listing on Penn Park Lane. 1140 Penn Park Lane. Put it in your search function. Check it out on Google. Pull out your phone. 1140 Penn Park Lane. Look at the pictures. Judah will show some of them on screen. The rental price, $4,450 a month is the ask. This house sold in October of last year. So it literally sold on the 17th of October. So that's November, December, January. Four months ago, this house sold for $365,000. The investor who purchased this property is asking $4,450 a month rent. We'll show some photos if you can grab some pictures when we're ready, Judah. Oh, you already put them on screen. Nicely Uh, done. Got the... Look at the screen. Here's the front. The front. If you want to pull some of the interior photos, I'm happy to show it to them as well. Judah Wickhauer and I will, will, will banter back and forth on a standalone brick rancher with a rental asking price of basically 4500 bucks a month or $1,500 a bedroom. I'm going to ask you this question. Is $1,500 per bedroom per month now market rent for Charlottesville, Virginia? We'll talk about that on today's show. We'll talk about um, the city council tomorrow is going to fill Cena McGill's seat. Cena McGill resigned from council citing personal reasons. Tomorrow, Brian Pinkston, Lloyd Snook, Juan Diego Wade, and Michael Payne will select Cena McGill's replacement. The scuttlebutt has Kathy Galvin and Kristen Zakos as the front runners because of their institutional memory. In fact, I think it should be Kathy Galvin because of her architectural background as the city is navigating upzoning right now. So anyone with any kind of architectural or housing background is going to have um, a lot of value proposition um, to offer current council and us as taxpayers. Also on today's show, we'll talk Ann Malik running for re-election. This is her fifth term she's pursuing. The terms are four-year terms. So if Ann Malik gets elected to a fifth term, and right now she's running unopposed, so the odds are looking pretty good, if she gets elected to a fifth term, Ann Malik will legitimately have held the Whitehall seat when the fifth term is over for 20 years, Judah Wickhauer. 20 years, one person representing one district in Almaro County. What is your take on that? B. Lapisto currently is running for re-election. This would be her second term. Angelique's and Dairy Market is now closed. I got that confirmed over the weekend by multiple um, members who work at Dairy Market. Um, they said Angelique's is, is closed. 
I've also heard through the grapevine that others are on the brink of closing. And there was a shooting outside Dairy Market on Saturday night on Temp Street. And the last topic we'll cover on today's show is the CEO of Amazon is telling employees, get your butts back to work. We have arguably one of the most powerful companies in the world in Amazon. And its top executive is telling team members, you are mandated to go back to work starting on May 1. We'll talk about that on today's show. Let's welcome Judah Wickhauer to the program, the jack of all wits, an all-around A-plus guy, someone who's counted upon in this community for his consistent voice of reason, his level-headedness. How are you, my friend? I'm all right. How Anything you? cool this weekend? You do? Any enjoyable meals you had? Anything that tickled your fancy from the weekend that you'd like to relay to your fans and the viewers and listeners of this fine and fair talk show? Well, I had Fabio's Pizza, and I gotta say that uh, their uh, their deluxe pizza is probably one of the best I've had in town. Oh wow! What's on the deluxe pizza at Fabio's? Was this Fabio's on High Street? Yeah, we've been talking High Street a lot lately, have we not? Yeah. Tell us about the deluxe pizza on High Street. I mean, it's loaded. It's got pretty much everything. It's got uh, pepperoni, sausage, uh, green peppers. Ooh, making me hungry. Uh, what else has got onions? Um, I'd have to take a look at the menu, but uh, I get mine without the mushrooms. Other than that, everything else is great, and the pizza is always, is always delicious. Nice. Very good take right there. Tracy Lee Shiflett says hello to everyone. Um, KTP, the queen of Whitehall, says that's way too much time for one person to hold the same seat. Interestingly, Katie Pearl lives in the Whitehall district. So her Almoral County representative on the Board of Supervisors is Ann Malik. I responded to KTP and, and said I agreed. Five terms for one person is entirely too long. Now it's up to the market and other people to challenge Malik. So, you know, she has run, for example, this term, she's running for election, she's running unopposed. Mm-hmm. So it's hard for us... I, I agree with Katie that five terms is way too long. But for someone to beat Malik, we need opposition to Malik. Is there not a, uh, is there not a, a benefit to the institutional knowledge uh, that goes on that long? Or does it become, uh, do you, is it uh, the need for new blood and new, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking perspective, for? Perspective, fresh perspective, fresh outlook? Yeah. I, 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 you know, that's a great question. That's a very good question. Because we say often on the show that city council and local government lacks the institutional memory to follow yeah. things through. Mm-hmm. West Main Streetscape is a perfect example, right? Biscuit Run. What the hell is happening with Biscuit Run? Are we going to ever see anything materialize with a park on the urban ring that is massive, right? Those are mm-hmm. two examples. But when does institutional memory become a perspective monopoly? Yeah. When does institutional memory morph into a um, one person essentially controlling a district and, 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 and the purse strings to what is now a $500-plus-million-dollar yearly budget? Other question I have for you is this. And Malik, a lot of respect for Supervisor Malik. I'm not knocking Supervisor Malik. We're just talking out loud here. Supervisor Malik, I would imagine, is darn near close to 70 years old. Let's... let's Take a look, okay? Yeah. I'm going to go to um, Civilpedia. I'm on Civilpedia right now. And I'm trying to get a feel for her age. 
she turned 73 in April. So when her term is up, she'll be 77, 78. Yeah. Here's the question I have for you. Is a 77, 78-year-old indicative of the voting population and the taxpayer base in Almaro County? That's a good question. Uh, probably, this, probably the same question that we should be asking of all of our, uh, <clears throat> all of our elected officials uh, across, the, um, across the spectrum. Um, I mean, if you take a look at our, if you take a look at our House and Senate, it's. I think we run into the same, the same, uh, the same thing we're seeing here. Uh, Warrior AG on Twitter said, "Term limits should be on every political level. It's the only way to keep fresh ideas and fresh voices for the masses." I'm responding to Warrior AG. I mention this live on air. And I tend to agree. I agree. Agreed. I, I agree. I mean, it's such a fine line, term limits. Where, where is that line drawn? Is it after the second term? Is I it after the third term? I think second term is what most people, uh, I think what most people point at as the, a good place to uh, take a break. What do you think, viewers and listeners? Katie Pearl, Bill McChesney, what do you think? Tracy Lee Shiflett, what do you think? Johnny Ornalis, what do you think? Viewers and listeners of this fine and fair talk show, like Diego, Diego Anderson, what do you think? I see folks in Shore Pump and Richmond and Crozet and downtown Charlottesville on our heat map. Comments coming in fast and furious on the chain, literally as we speak. Um, folks like our discussion from yesterday, or on Friday, the 65-hour work week. Scott Airworth in Virginia Beach says, good call on Fabio's. He likes that place, Judah. Yeah. Um, why don't we dot the I's and cross the T's or continue the conversation from Friday? And it's a perfect segue into the Penn Park listing. I mean, it's, Penn Park listing is three bedrooms, two baths. It's under 1,800 square feet. You want to put some of the photos on screen? Yeah. And looking through the photos, I mean, this place looks good. I'm, I'm a little surprised considering what I saw of the, uh, considering the, uh, the picture of the outside that we've got. 1140 Penn Park. For rent right now after being purchased on the 17th of October. It was purchased on the 17th of October for $365,000. They're asking $4,450 per month in rent, essentially $1,500 a room. You can tell that the investor who purchased this property put some TLC into the property. No doubt. The flooring looks new. It clearly got a fresh coat of paint. The kitchen looks, is beautiful. As Judah said, the outside of the home is not indicative of what the inside looks like. Yeah, not even, I mean, they're not even in the same neighborhood. <laughs> right. Props to the investor. Props to the investor yeah, no for doubt. rehabilitating the home. What do you make of a 1500 per bedroom per month asking rent? Is that market right now, Judah? I mean, I really don't have a good, uh, I don't have, really have a good model to put it against for, for what this place is worth. I mean, it looks nice if it comes with all the furniture i mean i'd say it, it might almost be it might even be worth it wow i mean i didn't at, i wasn't expecting that take from you well look at the couch look at the beds i mean if you had to if if they took everything out i'd say heck no there's no way 
But with all the stuff that I'm seeing in here, I mean, this place looks beautiful inside. I was having a uh, Twitter exchange with Planning Commissioner Rory Stolzenberg on this topic, and I highlighted 600 West Main Street, which is one of the new um, apartment buildings on West Main. It's the one that is right over where Blue Moon Diner is. And 600 West Main Street, where the building, the new building right over Blue Moon Diner, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. That has a monthly ask for um, studio, one-bedroom, two-bedroom, and three-bedroom apartments of over $1,500 a month. On Twitter, a gentleman by the name of Keith Williams said, deluxe downtown condos with pools, gyms, and parking do not set the market rate for rent in and around Charlottesville. What do you make on that topic? Say that again? They don't set the rate? I mean, I basically said what you did. This Penn Park listing, 1140 Penn Park, the investor is asking $4,450 per month rent. Yeah. That's $1,500 a bedroom. And I said on Twitter that $1,500 a bedroom for a lot of property in Charlottesville is the going rate. And yeah. then I highlighted the ask, the rental ask for the building that's above and around Blue Moon Diner. And I said, they're asking more than 1500 per month per bedroom. Here's an example of this being the rate. And I got a couple of folks on Twitter that said, downtown new apartments are not what sets rental rates in and around Charlottesville. I disagreed with them. I utilized Penn Park and the apartments on West Main as my justifiers for monthly rent. A perfect segue into the 65-hour work week. If you're spending $1,500 a month to rent a bedroom in and around Charlottesville, Virginia, has this marketplace evolved into a 65-hour work week community just to survive, just to get ahead? Anywhere you want to go on these topics, Judah, let's focus on this. I mean, is that really evolution? You can go anywhere you want. I mean, I, I don't really know where to go with it besides saying that uh, you're going to push a lot of people out. Maybe that's why we're in a 65-hour work week community now. Okay. Well, that's, uh, I, I'm sorry to hear that. I, I mean, I, I'd, I'd love to spend more time with family and doing hobbies and hanging out with friends as well. I mean, I, I, I hate to say this, but... Maybe evolve is not the right word because you're saying if we're evolving into a 65-hour work week, is that evolution really good? That's basically what you're alluding to? I think that's exactly what I'm alluding to. Is that How really would we a... better describe it instead of evolution? Uh, Has this morphed I mean, into? I mean... Are we forced into it? We talk a lot about gentrification. I mean, once... Uh, he, and you also talked about whether or not uh, whether or not these these rental prices are are uh, pricing the market. Uh, so when the market, if the market inevitably follows these prices, and that causes uh, home valuations to go up, and that causes assessments to go up, and uh, I mean, there's going to be a lot of people that can't afford to live here. That's what I'm even saying. Even if it's just, even if it's just based on the assessments, and then you're talking about, uh, and then you're talking about people like, uh, you know, like this investor, who picked up this house, uh, you know, kudos, made it look beautiful inside, 
but uh, you know, one person leaves, an inv- investor buys their house and uh, fixes it up and ups the price. And uh, I'm just, uh, I'm scared to see where it uh, where it goes and and where it eventually uh, ends. I mean, I I think undoubtedly we're in a market where 65 is becoming the norm. We asked on our morning show, Real Talk with Keith Smith, how many hours you work a week. Keith said 80 hours a week. Yeah, but realtors aren't normal people. Maggie and Joseph said they work every day, literally. Maggie was talking about negotiating deals while delivering a baby in the hospital. Literally, she said that. I'm not a realtor, and I work those kind of hours. You're a business owner. I mean... I'm trying to empathize. But as you've indicated, you have property owners that are asking 4500 a month in rent. After we talk about 1140 Penn Park Lane on this talk show, on every social media app known to mankind, we are contributing to setting the rent in Charlottesville. Because this listing is going to get a boatload of attention after people listen and watch to this show. The views on Zillow are going to skyrocket and go through the roof. And the likelihood of this renting with the additional attention is probably pretty significant. Okay. If homes like this rent for 4500 a month, others will follow. We're in agreement there, right? That sounds reasonable. That sounds reasonable. So if the rent for Charlottesville real estate, Charlottesville area real estate, is 1500 a month per bedroom per month. You have roommates and you're spending 18,000 a year. 18,000 a year for roommates is a nice nice chunk of change. If you want your rent to be I mean ideally you want it to be less than a third of your total take home pay, right? That means someone at that 18,000 clip is earning 55, 54, 55,000. The likelihood is someone renting this at 1500 a month is going to be working more than 40 hours a week. I'll say it again, viewers and listeners. You may not want to hear this, but Charlottesville and Almora County in particular, those two jurisdictions, are literally turning into a 65-hour work week if you want to survive and get ahead. You say that's sad. Yeah. Break it down. Because there's more to it than work. What's that? There's more to it than work, life. Yeah, I mean, uh, if I get priced out of this market, I'm leaving. I'm not. Oh, you're, you're not priced out of this market because you bought something. You fixed your overhead. And even then, it's, it, and even there, it's rough. I mean... Could you imagine if you didn't do that? With assessments, I know. I wouldn't still be here. Yeah. I'd have moved on. Uh, but, uh, but, yeah, I think it's a shame. And I think that, uh, you know, I think that we're going to continue seeing problems on the downtown mall and other places because people just, uh, you know, the types of jobs that are, that, are, that are in strong need right now are the kinds of jobs that, uh, you know, where people are 
I think saying, look, it's just not worth it. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna keep going further and further from, uh, from where I work to find a place to live and then come in here and make, what, minimum wage? And it just doesn't sound like a, doesn't sound like a, a good quality of life. Um, doesn't sound like good business sense. I was having this conversation on Sunday morning with some buddies. Um, and on Sunday morning, we were talking about if things continue to escalate price-wise like they're doing, how we see, say, the service industry or restaurants evolving. And I made this statement. And I think I also said this on Friday on the talk show. Staffing for food and beverage businesses has gotten so difficult. Yeah. And will become even more difficult as the hotel and conference center UVA opens, as the data science school opens, as the Paul Manning Biotech Institute opens, and if we get this regional tech hub, the 300 to 500 million dollar investment, and what I said on Sunday morning, the food, and ser- the food industry, the restaurant food and beverage businesses are going to see significant attrition. So what we will end up seeing, and you make a good point, how do you staff it if they can't afford to live here? We're going to see less of them. Food and beverage businesses, restaurants, coffee shops, bars, we'll see less of them. They will be less saturated. And the team members that are working and the ones that do survive will make more money. You really think that? Yeah. I think, unfortunately, one of the best draws of this community that we all love is the depth in restaurants and bars and coffee shops. We all love the locally owned restaurants. It's a foodie town. But if they don't have team members to work, they're going to close down. And the ones that survive are going to be able to aggregate all the A players, the top talent, front of the house and back of the house talent, and they're going to be able to pay them more money because there'll be less competition and the service will be better. Alternatively, what could happen is, and one of the guys I was uh, playing squash with made this comment on Sunday morning, um, the food service business is going to essentially become nothing but robots. My friend Dean made that comment. It'll be nothing but robots staffing these businesses. Now, I think the robots as staff is the future for like a chain, like a McDonald's or like a Panera or like a Chipotle. We're seeing all three of them head into the automated staff, staffing world. Yeah. I just don't think the locally owned business has the capital resources to go automated with staffing, at least not yet. Yeah. So if we don't figure out the affordability, you have less restaurants and you have the staff that wants to stay in this line of work, working at those restaurants, making more money and the service picks up. The downfall for us is, this is one of our favorite things about the community. It's the restaurants, right? I mean, what's your take on all this? I also heard from a ton of people that listened to Friday's show that were in food and beverage, that worked in food and beverage, and they said they were easily clocking 65 hours a week, working at multiple restaurants, sometimes working doubles on back-to-back days. So they said that it's easily a 65-hour work week if you're in the food and beverage business and if you want to survive. Your thoughts on all this? Jump in here anywhere you want to go, Judah Wickauer. 
Yeah, I mean that makes sense. Uh, we'll we'll lose some of the uh, we'll lose some of the businesses. Uh, we've already lost some, and uh, and with any luck, the uh, the businesses that survive and are left over will start getting more business, and uh, they'll we would hope make enough money to to survive, and. Um, do you think, and hopefully pay their pay their people, you know, a better wage. Do you think Charles Villians would? Do you think Charles Villians want the regional tech hub to manifest in this area? And John Blair, I'll get to your comment here in a matter of moments. It's a good one. Uh, Todd Rath, I'll get to your comments in a matter of moment. The owner of Blue Toad Hard Cider. Do you think Charlottesville, the old guard, the OG of Charlottesville and Central Virginia, wants a three hundred to five hundred million dollar regional technology hub? funded by the federal government? Or do you think the old guard of Charlottesville and Central Virginia says, good Lord, we don't want this. This is just going to expedite us not being able to afford this and have thousands of people come to this market to compete for the little real estate that's already out there. I don't know if the old guard thinks that much as a, as a block, but uh, I would tend to think that, uh, yeah, a lot of people are probably leery about uh, what this is going to do to the to the community. Todd Rath, owner of Blue Told Hard Cider, says even Devil's Backbone is cutting out service. I mean, is the, is the, future, of, is the future of the restaurant a locally owned one, right? Where you don't have the deep financial pockets of, say, a Panera or, say, a, a, a McDonald's or a Chipotle. McDonald's, Panera, and Chipotle are automated. You go to the McDonald's on Pantops, my kid loves the sausage biscuit. Oftentimes, that McDonald's has legitimately two people working in it. Yeah. You're ordering through a kiosk. You're ordering through an app on your phone. You're picking up the food from a window. I mean, legitimately, it has two people working in a, in a restaurant. You don't see people dining in the restaurant anymore. They're getting the food to go. Is the future for the locally owned business, no front of the house staff, you order at a window and you pick up at a window? I mean, like, take Moe's on Ivy Road. We helped broker the deal of Moe's on Ivy Road from Mike and Ashley Abrams to Derek Bond. Yeah. Derek Bond owns the melting pot as well. He owns Moe's on Ivy Road. You go to that location on Ivy, there's no front of the house staff. There's one person working the front of the house, and that person works the register, pours drinks, busses some tables, and greets people. Yeah. You go to the restaurant, the register, you place your order with that one person, and someone from the kitchen is ringing a bell and calling your name, and you're picking up the food at the window, and you're bringing it from the window, and you're sitting at your table, and then you're even taking the trash and the basket from your food, and you're bussing your table in a lot of ways yourself. Is that the locally owned business, locally owned model for restaurants now? I wouldn't say that we're about to see that uh, in every restaurant in Charlottesville. Outside of fine dining, who's going to be able to, to uh, afford to keep the staff? I mean, we may see something similar, but... Uh, Look at Bodo's model. Bodo's crushes it, right? Yeah. You figure... A thousand tickets a day. Let's just do conservative. We talk about this all the time. And we like to use the pun, that's a lot of dough. Bodo's uses dough, right? They make a lot of money, a lot of dough. <coughs> Let's, there's three locations. 
Let's say each location does 1,000 tickets a day. That's $3,000. That's 3,000 tickets across all three locations. <coughs> UVA Corner, Route 29, and Preston. Let's say they each do 1,000 tickets. That's conservative. 3,000 tickets a day. What do you think the average ticket price is for a Bodos? Oh, average man. cost per ticket. I, I don't know, 10 to $15? You think 10 or 15 I, th- I was going to say 750 Do you think 750 is light, Todd? I have no idea. Jamie, t- well, well, we're hypothesizing. I know. I don't even know the prices. Carol, you don't know the prices of bagel sandwiches at Bodo's? I haven't been to Bodo's in a few years. I don't know what you the, been, okay. their prices are currently at. I didn't I realize mean, you hadn't been to Bodo's in a few years. If it's, what, $4 for a bagel? I'd say you get a, ba- a Bodo sandwich for under 5 bucks Easily. I mean, I'd say that there are probably a lot of people stopping off there for, to pick up lunch for the office. Yeah, or, yeah. So, okay. So $7 seems a little low for, for an average. That's I, fair. $7.50 seems low. I, I agree with you. It seems low. I want to do a conservative projection here. But I agree with you. $7.50 seems low. Let's say the average ticket at Bodo's is 10 bucks. Okay. Carol, what do you think the average ticket is? John Blair, what do you think the average ticket is at Bodo's? Scott Aaronworth of Virginia Beach, what do you think is the average ticket? Why don't we just go 10 bucks? So 3,000 tickets a day. 1000 per location, at an average of $10 a ticket. That's probably low. That's $30,000 in gross revenues per day for Bodos. I'd say Bodos is open how many days a year? 360? Let's say Bodos closes for the 4th of July, Thanksgiving, Christmas, Easter. That's four days closed. What other holidays am I missing that they would close? Easter, 4th of July, Christmas, and Thanksgiving. I don't even know if they'd be closed Easter, but uh, I could see it. Let's just say for the sake of a conservative business model projection that they close a total of seven days a year. Yeah, I mean, just call it 360. You want to say five days a year? I mean, call it whatever. I I think we're nitpicking. I mean, that's how you build a business model. This is what business owners do when okay. figure out revenue projections. So 30000 we'll call it three sixty, based on what Judah's saying. 30000 times three They're doing $10,800,000 in gross revenues a year. And I think that's a light projection. 3,000 tickets a day, 1,000 per location, times $10 a ticket, that's light. I bet you they do more than 1,000 tickets a day, times 360 days a year, $10,800,000 with no front-of-the-house staff, really. They got no one taking your order at your table. All their staff is behind the line. They may have a staff member or two. They do have, they do have a staff member or two come out from behind the line, take out the trash, and clean up tables if they need to. But for the most part, if you look at Bodo's patrons... Bodo's patrons are very thoughtful and are literally wiping the tables as they're leaving. Yeah. Bodo's has trained their staff to wipe the tables and to take the trash from the tables to the trash canisters by the door. You mean train their... Uh, train their employees customers. or their customers, excuse me. Their customers to take their trash from the tables, wipe their tables down, and take their trash and throw it away. Yeah. If Bodo's can do it, why can't others do it? Sure they could. a light conservative projection for Bodo's across three locations. That's a lot of dough. And I would bet you that number's two or three million higher. 
because I think we're light on the number of tickets they do per day. I think we're light on the average ticket per day, average total amount spent per ticket. And I think they only close, as Judah said, a couple of days. We said 360. They probably have an extra workday in there that we're not thinking of. That's a lot of dough. Carol said 10 bucks a ticket, she would guess. Scott says Bodo's is overrated. Those, those are fighting words around Charlottesville, Scott. Judah, Judah's inclined to agree with you, evidently. I'm disappointed that they don't uh, toast. Scott Aaronworth is also disappointed they don't toast their bagels. Yeah. It slows the process down. Why would they toast? It slows the process down. You can get okay. in and out of Bodo's with the line wrapped outside the door on Preston, and you can get in and out there in less than 15 minutes when the line is wrapped outside. Um, Jamie Turner says, the most we will get from the restaurants of the future will, will be how they operate Jack Shop. How do they operate Jack Shop? Jamie Turner, I would love to, I, I would love to learn. I've never been. In fact, I'm going to respond to your comment. How do they operate Jack Shop? Put it in the feed. I'll relay it live on air. Jamie Turner, the uh, mayor of Culpeper. Kevin Yancey saying the furniture is not going to convey in that Penn Park listing, Judah. Did you read that the furniture conveys? No, no, I didn't. I'm, I haven't read the listing. I just grabbed the pictures. Okay. So He's saying the furniture is not conveyed. It's just staged. Well, that's a shame. I mean, I, that changes things quite a bit. I would imagine the furniture does not convey either, that it's just staged as well. Um, oftentimes, you're not going to have furniture conveying in, yeah. in, in, in deals like this. Well, in that case, I think it's overpriced. <laughs> you think it's overpriced? Seriously. Vanessa Parkhill loves Bodos. Um, customer service is why they should toast, Scott says. They don't have to toast. No, they don't have to. They, I think it's a shame that they don't. The I mean, line is out the door every day. I mean, you can make a legitimate argument. I've said, I said, I've said multiple times on the show, the local restaurant brands, the local food brands that make the most money in Central Virginia are the Tiger Fuel Markets, that's number one. And Bodo's is number two. Yes, Chick-fil-A beats Tiger Fuel. Yes, Chick-fil-A beats Bodo's. Starbucks certainly beats Tiger Fuel. And Starbucks is certainly beating Bodo's. I would imagine the McDonald's, because of their uh, prolific nature, the fact that there are multiple units in Charlottesville and Central Virginia, whoever owns the, the, the territory for McDonald's is, is grossing more revenue than uh, Bodo's and, and the markets at Tiger Fuel. But if you wanted a local brand, top-grossing local brand in the area, it's Tiger Fuel 1, Bodos 2. Um, John Blair, we're going to get to your comments here in a matter of moments. In fact, why don't we go to John Blair? I love when John Blair leaves comments. He says, Jerry, you are also light on semi-catering as well. While I don't think they cater, they clearly have 10 to 15 orders per morning in which they are providing dozens of bagels with their fixings for large groups of people. What's that, 40 to $60 per large group? Yeah, he's exactly right. Why don't I do the model differently? Why don't I say this? There's three locations of Bodo's. Let's say they do 1,250 tickets a day each location. 1,250 times three, three locations, is 3,750 tickets per day at Bodo's. Let's take the average ticket price from, 3, 000, for, uh, from $10 to 15 
So 3,750 tickets per day times $15 per ticket. That's $56,250 in gross revenues per day. And let's continue with the 360, 360 days a year. So 56,250 times 360 days. That's a gross of over $20 million. Mm-hmm. That's Bodo's $20,250,000 per year in gross revenues. That's a lot of dough. Bodo's is grossing over $20 million a year in that projection. And they don't toast their bagels. They don't really bust their tables. And all they're really doing from a front-of-the-house staffing standpoint is taking out the trash. Think about that. I would hope this restaurant incubator that we talked about last week is encouraging the students within the incubator to model after Bodo's or Moe's. Because you can't get the staff to keep your restaurant alive in today's market. And we're already identifying, and you jump in here, I, I don't mean to cut you off, we're already identifying a phenomenon where the staff can't afford to live here. And that's going to worsen. I think you're looking at the incubator as far too much of, uh, in terms of everybody going in there, opening their own restaurant. I think that's a far cry from what's going to happen. I am looking at the incubator, and this was a topic from last week's show, strictly from the lens that it should not have been funded by meals tax revenue. Yeah. Revenue generated by restaurants should not fund an incubator that competes directly with them. I'm also looking at the incubator from the lens that it's going to further shorten or pinch the labor market tied to restaurants. It's going to, the incubator, any way you slice it or dice it, is headwinds for local open restaurants right now. You got to give me that. Okay. I don't know what that has... I don't know what that has to do with what I said, but... Uh, well, yeah, you, you, you said I was arguing. looking at the restaurant incubator too much like it birthed in too many restaurants. I th- you're, well, the way you talk about it sounds like every person that goes in there is going to be trying to open their own restaurant, and I just think that's... Uh, I don't think that's what's going to happen. I, I think the um, folks that go into the incubator are looking to open either restaurants or some kind of food-oriented business. Why else would you go into a commercial kitchen incubator if you weren't going to open a food-oriented business? That could be catering. That could be a restaurant. could be a coffee shop. But it's going to be a food-oriented business. Yeah. In any food-oriented business that's birthed from this incubator, that's funded by meals tax revenue, is going to cause headwinds for current and active restaurants and their proprietors and owners. Okay, so you've got a problem with people like uh, the owner of A-Squared? Of who? A-Squared Pizza. I don't have a problem with A-Squared Pizza. Why would I have a problem with him? Because that's, I mean, that's the person that you're talking about. A-Squared Pizza's operating out of his house. He's not going to do the incubator. His A-Squared Pizza is strictly a side hustle for him. That gets him to 65-hour work week threshold. He works a full-time job. Andy Argold has no, is, is, does not have aspirations of op- opening a pizzeria. And not all the people that go to the, to the incubator have aspirations to open a full restaurant. 
I, I agree. They could be opening a catering company. They could be opening a coffee shop. Or they, they, could, or they could be looking for a place to cook their pizzas rather than their, their home oven. Yeah, 100%. And when those people do that, cook their pizzas to sell, those sales will be competition for Fabio's. Just as A-squared is now. Yeah. The businesses birthed from the incubator are going to be added competition for current restaurants. It's literally what I'm saying. I know, and I agree that it's problematic the way that it's uh, the way that it's funded. But other than that, I I still think it's I still think it's a, a net good thing. I mean, agree to disagree on this one. If I was in a point of consulting others, and you know we are, this is what we do. We have a, VMV Brands is an advertising agency. What do we do? We offer consultation to businesses, right? And we charge for our time. It's literally what we do. If I was in a role of consulting others, I would say, do not open a restaurant. Do not do this. I respect your hustle to be an entrepreneur. There are many examples of restaurants not working locally. We're about to talk, to, talk about one. Angelique's and Dairy Market is closed. Finally, I, I, I just asked someone over the weekend, I've been at Dairy Market so many times, and, and TD watching this program, Trevor watching this program, put this on my, on my radar first. He routinely listens to the show on podcast form. He said, you know, every time I go into Dairy Market, Angel Eats is closed. And then after he sends me this DM about this, I started going in there. I'm like, what the heck is going on? The stall is always closed. And then I finally asked somebody who works for Dairy Market. They have a handful of people who are cleaning Dairy Market and, 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 and serving as a liaison for patrons at Dairy Market. And multiple of the uh, team members said, yep, Angelique's is closed. It's too bad. It is too bad. You have someone in Angelique who is a businesswoman of talented proportions. She came from the hotel industry where she worked in customer service. After decades working for hotels, she decided to open Angelique's as a food truck, food trailer. Yep. That food trailer was often parked in the Cosner Brother parking lot across from Cosner Brothers Body Shop. Yep. She had tremendous success with her soul food cuisine with her food trailer. Mm-hmm. So much so that that success gave her the confidence to open a stall at Dairy Market. After, what, less than two years, the stall is closed? After years of experience in perfecting her her craft with the trailer, the stall is closed. I mean, we can talk Chad Ragland Wild Wing Cafe, we can talk Lauren and Mitch at Prime 109, we can talk Downtown Grill. We can talk Daniel Kaufman, Pronto, the pasta place on the corner that closed. Yep. We can talk Bo Stockton at Michael's Bistro. We can talk Little John's. We can talk Stu Rifkin at College Inn. We can talk um, Junction, Melissa Close Heart. Right? How many Hunter Smith's businesses have closed? I mean, I heard that he's still on the hook for Who's Brew 
which is completely closed now, the coffee shop on High Street, I heard that he's still on the hook for 3000 a month rent Ouch. for a business that's not even operating. A yeah. personal guarantee on a lease, and he has like 36 months left on it. 3000 a month for a business that's not even operating. That's why he was trying to sell Who's Brew for a dollar, just to get off the 3000 a month lease. Yeah. There's, I just don't understand why someone, you know, and I'm not trying to throw shade or dampen someone's entrepreneurial spirit. I mean, hell, you made the point last week, and I thought it was a good one. When you, when, when you Jerry, you said, try to launch a business 15 years ago, you walked into your condo, and what happened? Your parents were there, your girlfriend at the time, and a couple friends. And they said, don't do it. And I ignore them and did it anyway. And outside of marrying my wife, it proved to be the best decision I ever made. But they try to dampen my entrepreneurial spirit, right? So you're basically saying, how can you dampen someone's entrepreneurial spirit the same? That's, that, that was the point you made. It was a fair one. And I'm not only saying that, but I'm saying that how can you tell these people that they're wrong when the people that came before them weren't? The guy that started a restaurant or started a food business four years ago, was he somehow better than the people that are going to be eventually starting their own food businesses in the next year, the next five years? And that's a very fair about point. about ten years from now? That's a very are fair they, point. Should they all give up because uh, we, have, we have enough good restaurants here? That's a fair point. And I acknowledge the point you're making is, is, is applicable and fair. Thank you. My counter to that point that you're making is set yourself up for success when pursuing entrepreneurship. And it's already difficult enough. 80% of small businesses fail in their first three years. So one of the first steps to launching a business is choosing a space that's not saturated and crowded. Yeah, and that's fair too. I would like anyone who wants to get into business ownership to have success. When you're launching a business in the most crowded space of work, restaurants in Central Virginia, you are setting yourself up to have even longer odds of success. When I launched this business 15 years ago, it was as a digital advertising agency where there were not any digital advertising agencies on the market. Yeah. So I launched a company in a, line of, in a space of business that had zero competition. Mm -hmm. It was strategic. That's, that's, I guess, one of the points I want to make here. Yeah. Olivia, the queen of Keswick, Olivia Branch, I love Olivia Branch. She said it could be a kitchen supplies in the incubator. It could be a business that's birthed in, for kitchen supplies. She's pointing to the fact that it doesn't have to be restaurants that come out of this incubator like you have said. Yeah. It could and be I've... other types of businesses on the restaurant supply chain. Yeah, and there are, you know, there are people that do pies, and, uh, and people, you know, businesses like A Squared Pizza and, uh, and other small, uh, there, you know, there are several, uh, several small bakeries that I believe uh, work out of their homes. And I, I completely understand what you're saying. I, I'm with you with the, uh, uh, the funding being a problem. I, uh, that it's coming from meals tax revenue. Yeah. And, and I'm with you for the fact that, uh, that if these, you know, if all these people are going, going in there thinking they're going to open the next, uh, you know, citizen burger bar. Yeah. Then 
Citizen Burger Bar crushes it, by the way. Then yeah, they're just gonna they're just gonna be shooting each other's feet. There's gonna be too many. But I think that a lot of these people are, you know, I think this could be a good thing for the people that are just looking for a uh, a good space uh, rather than uh, rather than baking pies or cakes in your own oven and having limited space. You can use this to. Uh, possibly expand your business i also and 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 you know i'm a a fan of small government i'm also wondering aloud what the legalities of uh, i don't even want to go down this road yeah all right you know what i'm not going to go down i don't want to go down that road because i don't want to get anybody in trouble right and i know what you're saying yeah i don't want to get anybody in trouble i'm not going to go down that road so let's not even go down that road Mm -hmm. because the guy's doing it to feed his family I mean, I thought you were... He's making the pizzas to feed his family. Yeah. So I'm not going to go down the road about the legality. Right. Um, Carol Thorpe says, with casual dining, I don't mind busting my own plate, but I do mind not being able to order my food, prepare the way I want. Bodo's is a no-go for me, she says. That's fair. I I respect that. That is fair. I, uh, I do like their... I do like a few things they make, but they would be so much better, uh, if I could get it toasted. Uh, Kyle Miller says the market decides what stays and what goes. There aren't that many people in Charlottesville. I mean, that, that's a great comment. Um, Kyle Miller's an entrepreneur. He's a, a, a small business owner, and he's 100% right. The market's going to determine who fails and who succeeds. Yeah. But you, the visionary, you, the entrepreneur, you, the proprietor, can choose what line of work you want to Invest your thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars in your time and your sweat equity. And if you want to enter a space that's crowded and competitive, you're going to have a smaller chance of success than if you enter a space that is not crowded and competitive. So it's, yeah. easy, it's, you know, it's as easy as that. Um, Angelique's closing a dairy market. Do you wonder? I'm just wondering aloud. I'm wondering aloud here. Are the tenants, the stalls at Dairy Market, having the success they anticipated? I mean, now you see the headline in the Daily Progress about a shooting outside the Dairy Market on Saturday night. Yeah. Saturday night, 8.49 p.m., someone was shot outside the market. The Daily Progress initially on their website showed a photo of the dairy market when talking about this shooting. They have now changed that photo and put a Google map with the red arrow of where the shooting took place. Thank you for doing that, Daily Progress, because I don't think depicting the dairy market with a picture next to the headline, person injured in Saturday night shooting at 10th and Page with your location next to it, I thought that did a disservice to the market. That was not fair to them. The shooting did not happen inside the market. Yeah. So to have the photo of the market with that headline did a disservice to the market. Thank you for replacing the photo daily progress. Have you been a dairy market? Yeah. What do you make of it? I like it. Uh, I've stopped there a few times, and I, you know, there, it's got some great people. Um, obviously, uh, big fan of Dino's. Um, lots of great places to eat i mean uh if it was uh if it was easier to get to 
go there all the time. It's great for kids. It's great for parents that have young kids. It has a variety of food vendors, which offers options for people. When you're in a group, options are nice. It also there's there's also not the uh, the in in restaurant dining that I think is more awkward for uh, for parents. What do you mean? Talking about parents with kids. Well. there's less problem with your kid like running around the food court or running, okay. running around out on the patio. You're talking the ambiance is more approachable. Yeah, then it it's would, more welcoming to than, kids. Then it would be if you were sitting inside one restaurant where other people are trying to eat. This yeah. is more like it's got a it's got a a more casual uh, casual feel that I think is uh, that I think works with kids. Uh, you know, running around trying different things. Yeah. I agree with that. That's why we take our boys there. We're not embarrassed when our oldest is acting like a tornado in public. I ask this as a very fair and legitimate question. Are the vendors at Dairy Market making money? Dino's seems to be. He's expanded stalls. He's gone from the pizza and chicken stalls to the pasta stalls. Well, Star Hill seems to be making money. Granted, they have the benefit of selling beer. Yeah. Beer is a high-margin business. They sell food? Um, Star Hill does not sell food, but they allow you to bring food in from other vendors. Right, right. The setup for Star Hill is is amazing. Yeah, well, anybody that's got got their own beer and a a tap would be doing great there. Is Milkman doing well? Uh, No idea. I, I wonder if the Milkman is doing well at Dairy Market. I wonder. I don't know. Star Hill has also the benefit of having TVs in the brewery at Dairy Market. So it's essentially become a quasi-sports bar, especially when the University of Virginia is playing or there's a big-time ACC game. And they occasionally have live music, I think. I wonder if the inside stalls are actually making money. Take it away Sandwich Shop, for example, often is closed before the market is closed. Mm. I'm pretty sure there's a caveat in the leases that the stalls have to stay open the entire time the market's closed. Because if you start going to Dairy Market and multiple vendors are closed, then it takes away some of the genese quality of the market. The whole concept is a food hall with multiple options. Yeah. <coughs> that being said, I think less options is probably better in terms of the individual places in there not like there should be less options in dairy market but i think one of the reasons why dino does so well is that he's he limits his each of his each of his spots is limited in scope so i'm looking at uh angelique's kitchen and it just seems like it would have to be really hard to to make money and stay stocked up on all this stuff i mean she does she You're does, saying her menu's too robust. She, yeah, she does fried fish. She does barbecue. That's a good point, Judah. Pulled pork and ribs. Good she point. She does crispy wings and chicken tenders. She does fried shrimp and ca- crab cake sandwiches. She does fried chicken. Uh, she was doing breakfast yeah. for a little while. That's and a great point from Judah right there. It seems like the overhead on keeping all of that stocked so you can do any of it has to be has to be harder on you than, you know, keeping, you know, keeping enough on, I mean, Dino's, Let's give you some props. Dino's got, Dino's got to keep stock of, uh, of chicken wings, right? Then he's got to keep stock of like, well, now he's got the pasta piece too. Well, yeah, but the pasta is what, like three different kinds of, 
I mean, I, you know, I love I love the the quick pasta um, the quick pasta model uh, because I used to I used to go to a place in uh, in Maine in Portland uh, in Old Port uh, that was just like that, and it's just like you're talking about with a very simple uh, doesn't require doesn't require a lot of uh, a lot of workers doesn't require people going out and uh, taking orders. You just have someone behind the line. You've got pre-portioned, uh, um, you've got pre-portioned pastas. Whether it's you know you've probably got like three or four or five different types of pastas. So spaghetti, uh, uh, linguine. Uh, you know, some. It's an efficient model. The overhead is is, is limited. Like it's take you, you and know you just you just dump a bag into a into a little you know basically like a like a sieve d- drop it into the hot water it's cooked in like two or three minutes and then you just you just need like two or three sauces and two or three different kinds of uh like meats or vegetables to toss on top and you can have somebody you can have somebody's order ready in you know probably five minutes it's like the boto's model you know who does yeah, this extremely exactly. you know who does this extremely well guys is Jack Brown's. Curtis Shaver taught me this. Curtis, are you watching? My buddy, Curtis Shaver, restaurant business. I love when he watches the show. He's a smart guy. I've learned a lot from Curtis. And Curtis Shaver, the extremely talented chef, taught me this. He goes, you look at Jack Brown's, and they got one person on the front of the house and one person on the back of the house. He says, the plates the burgers are served on are paper plates, so they're thrown away. Yeah, the only real washing of dishes they're doing are the glasses for beer, mm-hmm. draft pint glasses. Yeah, they have no lettuce and tomato on the burgers that can spoil or go to waste. Yeah, and they have a lot of specials, but they do them one day a week. And they have a very limited menu at Jack Brown's. It's only a few things done well. Yeah, it's few things done well that can be turned quickly with not a lot of waste or spoilage yeah. or shrinkage. Paper plates thrown away, no pressure to wash dishes, mm-hmm. no lettuce, tomato that can spoil or go bad. The menu is extremely limited, and they can be turned around very quickly. Yeah. I mean, is that the future? Yeah. I hope that's Could taught be. in the restaurant incubator. Strip your menu down to a handful of things that you do really well and consider a pickup window yeah. and encourage your customers to bus. If, if, if I was running the incubator, I would use Jack Brown's, Bodo's, and Moe's. Heck, Moe's could be Ivy Provisions too. Ivy Provisions has got the pickup window. That's yeah. the model that I would utilize. Yeah. That's the model. And I, and I want the other ones that are staff-heavy to survive. Like Scott Aaronworth is talking about Daniel Kaufman just opening Black Cow Chop House. That's now open. The mm. reviews have been amazing. People are singing the praises of Black Cow Chop House on West Main Street. Daniel Kaufman said, we will be the last restaurant left standing in this location. Because there's been a lot of turnover at that location. Little Star, Zinc, The Station, Three Penny Cafe, all before Blackout Chop House. Daniel Kaufman has already made a proclamation. We will be the last one standing in the spot. And I wish him the best of luck. 
It's a staff-heavy model. You look at the menu, you have a boatload of options. Chops, pork chops, steak, various cuts of meat, seafood, a boatload of wine, a boatload of cocktails, staff-heavy model. You're going to drop 100 to 125 bucks a head probably if you go there. If you get an entree, two drinks, and either an appetizer or dessert. Mm-hmm. And it's got some a la carte tendencies like we saw from Downtown Grill or like we see from a lot of steakhouses where yeah. you get the cut of meat and if you want some additional sides, you're paying for them. It's a staff-heavy model. I, want, I wish him the best of luck. He knows I love him. You know I, Daniel Kaufman knows I love him. I give him a lot of pro bono love because what he does is good. But it's a staff-heavy model. I mean, you're never going to have a steakhouse run like a Bodo's. Of course not. And that's, that's, that's the counter right there. If you want the fine dining steakhouse, this is what you need. Yeah. And people are just going to have to understand they're going to have to pay for it. Yeah. And it's going to be 100, 125 bucks a head. Hey, Curtis is watching. What's up, C-Shaver? Juan Sarmiento says South and Central is doing well. Is South and Central doing well? Is, do we know for a fact South and Central is doing well? South and Central at night has turned into a nightclub where they have DJs and live music. Mm-hmm. Sunday mornings for brunch, they're doing drag brunch at South and Central. So they're trying a lot of creative and new ideas to get people staying sticky at the location. Can it just survive as a steakhouse, South and Central? Or is it having to get innovative and creative with the drag brunch and turning into a nightclub on Friday and Saturday nights? Fair question, right? Yeah. Do steakhouses in Manhattan have to do drag brunches on Sunday morning and turn their restaurant and dining room into nightclubs after dinner service? In the last two, two years, I'm... Does I'm the there. Aberdeen Barn have to do drag brunches on Sunday mornings and take their dining rooms on Friday and Saturday nights and turn them into nightclubs. I'm not seeing Angela do that at the Aberdeen Barn. Are they doing well? It's a fair question. Just asking it. And I, and I wonder in totality how the vendors in totality are doing there. Time will tell. Yeah. Time will tell. Because oftentimes, Rudy Giuliani said this when he was the mayor of Manhattan. I'm going to clean up the broken windows because broken windows breed more broken windows. Yeah. One stall closed at the market. Let's see if it breeds other ones. I'm seeing take it away with limited hours, and I'm seeing be conscious bakery with limited hours at dairy market. Hmm. Are they allowed to do limited hours? I don't think technically by the lease they're allowed to do it. Hmm. I don't think technically by the lease they're allowed to do it. I'm, I'm, I'd be willing to bet you 100 bucks. the lease says you have to be open from this time to this time, no matter if you have customers or not. Because the last thing the owners in the market want is for customers to go in there and for stalls to be closed. Because that's when people don't come back. It's the effect that you had on the downtown mall. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. If you go expecting something and you find it's not there, then it's you, once bitten, twice shy. You the next time you think about going back there, you're like, ah, 
Maybe I'll just go somewhere that I know is open. John Plecker watching the program. I believe this is John Plecker's first comment on the show. He says, how well is the place that took Parallel 38 doing? They used to be on 29. He's talking about Guajiros. Guajiros is banging. Guajiros is not open for dinner service, only breakfast and lunch. But from all accounts, Guajiros is doing really well. The, boy, the fellas that own Guajiros, they're brothers. They run it with their family. They do not want to open for dinner service. Because the brothers and the family are, jet, are legitimately working every shift. Yeah. Breakfast and lunch. And they don't want to work anymore. They're already working too hard. Their brunch is off the hook. Their brunch is amazing. Guajiros is one of the best restaurants in Charlottesville. The yeah. Cuban sandwich is out of this world good. And their brunch, like you said, is absolutely amazing. My wife loves yeah. Guajiros. And it was the same thing. It's, uh, it was um, those, it wasn't paper bowls, but they were, you know, those kind of like, I don't even know how you describe it. Uh, thick, thick paper-like bowls um, that don't require, you know, don't require someone spending an hour in the, in the... Washing dishes. Washing dishes at the end of the day. I'm responding to him right now. Guajiros is amazing. Yeah. You should try it. Thank you for uh, watching the show today, John Plucker. Um, all right. A couple of items, items out of the notebook we need to get to today. Um, City Council picks tomorrow. Who's going to replace Cena McGill? I had a very pleasant and friendly conversation with Cena McGill's husband, Tyler, on Twitter. Hmm. I would encourage everyone to check that out. Thank you, Tyler, for making our day yesterday afternoon. Um, my bet is City Council is going to take is going to pick either Kristen Zakos or Kathy Galvin. Why they pick Kristen Zakos or Kathy Galvin is because they've already been on council. And neither Zakos nor Galvin wants to run for re-election. Right. So it's not like Lloyd Snook and Michael Payne will be picking their competition in the race this fall. Yeah. And I think there is some value for Zakos or Galvin getting picked because they already have the institutional memory of being on council. If I had my druthers, I'd take Kathy Galvin because she's an architect and she understands housing better than most. Yeah. And Malik is running for a fifth term. John Blair left this comment, which I thought it was a very good one, on Facebook. He says, JM, Jerry, us, interestingly, Virginia is the only state in the nation that does not allow a governor to run for re-election in consecutive terms. Hmm. It's a great point, and it's very interesting. You cannot, Yunkin cannot run for another term, but Ann Malik could stay in the Whitehall District for 20 straight years. Yeah. I mean, and I'm Look, not knocking Supervisor Malik. Mal Supervisor Malik, tremendous respect for you. This is not a knock on you. Supervisor Malik, I don't agree with your politics all the time, but I respect you tremendously as a person and as a politician. The fact that you are going to end up serving this community for 20 years shows your love and your commitment to Almoral. I mean, she's not doing this to get wealthy. Right. But the point is, 20 years for the same person and the same seat is a long-ass time. Mm -hmm. It's a long time. B. Lapisto currently is running for re-election in the Ravana district. And what do you make of this shooting on Temp Street? The shootings are happening at such a prolific clip that I think we, we may have gun violence fatigue. And that's so sad. Apathy has set in with gun violence in this community. 
because it's so prolific. I heard through the grapevine from multiple people that the police chief, the new chief, Michael Kachis, lives in the 10th and Page neighborhood. Hmm. So I love that the police chief is living in the city. Yeah. Chief Brackney lived in Almoro County. Hmm. She did not live in the city. I thought that was a travesty, that you're the police chief of a city and you live in the neighboring county for quality of life. I think travesty is a little bit strong. All right, how about... How about um, a shame. A shame. How about hypocrisy? How about uh, disappointing? I'd have to know more about the situation to, uh, you know... Odd, curious? You give me odd or curious? Sure. That Brackney lived in Almoro County? Yeah. Give me that? Yeah. Um, Cautious lives in 10th and Page. Putting his money where his mouth is. I mean, 10th and Page... Very much a gentrifying community. Yeah. Um, I think we're at apathy when it comes to shooting and gun violence around here. Or now we're chalking it up, oh, just another shooting. I don't know about that. You don't think so? I don't think people are... I think... Uh, I think a lot of people are still, uh, you know, are still worried and are still taking every... Uh, Every announcement of uh, of a new case of gun violence, or you know, uh, hearing hearing guns go off in uh, in their neighborhoods as uh, troubling developments. Um, okay, how about this question? What's more troubling to you here with this tenth and page shooting? Is it more troubling to you that the shooting happened, or that the shooting happened right outside Dairy Market? You got a boatload of families at Dairy Market. And this happened at 8.49 p.m. on Saturday night. Yeah. I can assure you that there were, I was about to use a profanity, that there was a boatload of children in Dairy Market at 8.49 on Saturday night. Is it more concerning that the shooting happened or the location it happened? Not to marginalize the shooting by any means. No, not to marginalize it, but I would agree that it's more uh, more troubling that it happened outside of uh, outside of Dairy Market, an epicenter of family. Yeah, I mean, an epicenter of family here. I mean, it would be just as troubling if it was if it had taken place in, uh, say, Stonefield. Does uh, Dairy Market jump on this from a PR standpoint and employ at a cost out of their own pocket security seen around the market? to create a sense of safety or the perception of safety? Yeah. I would, you know, I would consider it if I was, uh, if I was in charge, I'd consider it for, you know, short period of time, a couple days a week, maybe, uh, the weekends, two or three hours, uh, you know, during the most, uh, high traffic times. Yeah. Yeah. Just to give people a sense of security. Yeah. Perception. I'd like to see that from dairy market short period of time. Get some security, some boots on the street, hired security. But we've also talked about uh, we've also talked about this in uh, in regards to uh, in regards to Belmont, and we haven't seen a repeat of what happened there. Uh, sadly, uh, what is it? Uh, uh, Fifeville. Has seen a little more uh, a little more action than some of the other areas. Generally, where the not generally, oftentimes where the gun violence is. 
but um, generally not in downtown Belmont. Right, and so I think you know I think uh, I think it may be a little I think it may be a little uh, a little too soon to say well you know so and so should be hiring security guards even for you know just like three hours a day three days a week uh, because. It does seem more random, um, and uh, and I don't know. I'm sure that uh, I'm sure that Carol said it best. We've gone from outrage with the shooting, outrage, to troubling. She then says, "Soon it's going to be commonplace." That's the apathy. Is is apathy setting in with gun violence in this community? And how sad is that statement right there? That statement is so sad to say out loud. I find it hard to believe that we're ever going to be apathetic about uh, about I, gun we violence hope to God. in Charlottesville. I think just because we don't uh, we don't show outrage every time we hear of you know a shooting or gunshots going off doesn't mean that we're not uh, we're not taking them seriously. And I know that uh, I know that our police force and uh, police chief Conscious feel the same way. Um, I, you know, I don't think they're sitting on their laurels because uh, because these things are getting more commonplace, um, and uh, hopefully with uh, with the passage of a of a few months, we'll see uh, we'll see a lot more a lot more crackdowns, a lot more uh, work being done, and um, I'm confident that we'll. Hear the number of uh, the number of shootings and and uh, guns going off diminishing. Perfect way to close the show. Well done by Judah Wickhauer. I my hope is the same. I hope it turns out that way, my friend. Well said. Very Thank succinct you. and to the point. Perfect way to close. Judah Wickhauer, not only the director but a key and critical part of the show. Job well done. The Monday edition of the program. We bar- we entertained, we enlightened, and we educated. That's what we try to do every, every time we do the program, right? Entertain, enlighten, and educate. Yeah. Judah Wickhauer, Jerry Miller, The I Love Seville Show, presented by The Clifton. See you tomorrow for another edition of the program. Take care, everybody. Good job, Judah. Thank you.